First John chapter four. And uh, we're going to cover the, just six verses tonight, but they're six powerful verses. First uh, John is written in such a way as John kind of repeats himself. It's a little bit repetitive. Um, but the repetition is important to drive home the point that he, as he attacks these false teachers, these teachers of this insidious philosophy called Gnosticism, which was not just in Christianity, but all over that part of the Greco-Roman world. And it was just, it's just idea, and, and it's really a parasite type of philosophy. In other words, it, it has no value on its own. It attaches itself to something else and begins to feed on its own people, oh, people who are there. Uh, most cults do that, by the way. They, they, they feed on people who are part of an existing group. And uh, as I sh- shared before, on all this complexity, the simplicity of it is a sense of dualism, a sense that the physical was evil, the spiritual was good, you could be saved spiritually, uh, and then, but you could live however you wanted. It didn't affect your spiritual life. So you could live completely outside the law in total sin and rebellion. Um, and if you were saved, you were saved. But here's the kicker. The salvation came through right knowledge. You had to have this special knowledge of God, and no one knows what that knowledge is. I mean, we don't know anybody that knows that knowledge. It was never written down. Um, and so it was, it was a horrible cult, and uh, it gained some prominence, especially in Asia Minor, and uh, in the end of the first century. And, um, and it denied, essentially, that Jesus was God in the flesh, because you can't have God in the flesh. You can't have the spiritual good being in the physical evil. So Jesus was a human where this, this Christ spirit at his baptism came upon him uh, and at his crucifixion left. But Jesus was never really, you know, God in the flesh. Uh, and this is the heart of Christianity that he is. And so John deals with that. Now in the fourth chapter, he deals with two things, two kind of aspects, which is the, the whole attack on Gnosticism. He deals with a doctrinal attack against it, dealing in verse 1 through 6, with the authority of Jesus, or the authority of those who taught. And then he deals in verse 7 through 21 with a moral uh, test and attack, dealing with the authenticity of those. In other words, the way you lived your life is evidence of, of, of true salvation. We've said that many times. Starting in um, verse 7, he will deal at length with the moral aspect of loving people and, and, and the way that love is fleshed out. We've already seen it to some degree. But we're going to be in the first six verses. And he basically uh, comes and deals with the ultimate test of authority, of whether the message and the messengers have the true authority of, of, of the Lord. And so in verse 1, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he calls them beloved. You, 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 you were the beloved, the followers, you know, the, 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 it's a term of endearment. John is much older. I mean, John is, John is, is he's, John is the apostle John. He's, he's well up, probably past 80, at least past 80, if not further. And, and John has seen all of, he has been alive the entire period of the Christian life, history. He knows all there is of Christ that can be known. He is, he is that guy. And so in a tender moment, speaking compassionately and tenderly, he calls them the beloved, beloved ones. He said, you need to understand to test the spirits, to test the teachers. The spirit is the essence of the person, whoever it is. Don't believe all of them. You can't believe everything that would come along, but you got to test them to see whether they're from God. Throughout the history, not only of Christianity, but going back to the Old Testament, to Judaism, there have been many false prophets, people who falsely 
claim to be from God. And you see it all the time in the Old Testament. I'm not going to refer to them. Jeremiah dealt with them uh, in the book of Kings. You, you see these guys come along who were false prophets. And the test of whether or not someone was legitimately a true prophet in the Old Testament is whether or not in speaking the word of God those things happen. It wasn't foretelling the future. It was just whether you spoke the word of God. God honored that. You see that with Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18 when they had the great test of Mount Carmel and fire came down when Elijah called upon the Lord. He was the true prophet of God. He called upon the Lord. The Lord acted. So you see the truth in what they say. In the New Testament, there become many false prophets as well. And by now, they had infiltrated the church. I mean, from the very beginning, Paul deals with that. Uh, from the first book he wrote, you know, which I believe was Galatians, uh, even if Galatians wasn't the first, certainly 1 Thessalonians was, if not Galatians, and Thess Thessalonians deals with the same thing. There was this constant false teaching in the book of Acts. As the church just begins to grow, you see falseness, false teaching, false people come in, uh, trying to hijack in some way uh, the faith. And they give the appearance so often of uh, being legit and being uh, good. One of the things, uh, you know, we deal with church planters. Uh, you know, all over America right now, we're dealing with them uh, primarily in, in Denver and in Phoenix, and uh, maybe one with Tucson. And one of the first things I tell them when they plan a church is you have a vision of what God wants. Don't let anybody hijack your vision. Because every church planner, and I have these guys, you know, I had one in Bridgeport, and he talked about it. Every church plant that I know of, that I've ever dealt with, somebody comes to be a part of that church plant. I'm not saying they're not followers of Christ, but I'm just saying they... They have, they say, okay, this is a new church. You know, I want to do some things and the church I go to won't let me because they know what you want to do isn't going to work or it's wrong or it's false. They go to the church plant and they hijack and they try to take it over. And, and, and I say, don't let them do it. Even though it looks like, yeah, I'm going to give money and I'm going to teach your Bible study. Listen, if the church they came from won't let them teach, you don't need to let them teach. If the church they came from won't let them sing, you don't need to let them sing. I mean, don't give in to that. And, and it's so easy. And that's what would happen to these young churches, these young churches. And remember, Christianity was just starting. And, and here he's riding into, into uh, the area of, of, of Asia, Asia Minor, what we call it, the province of Asia, and maybe Bithynia, and right there, that area of what we call Turkey. And, and Paul had started the church there, and Peter had been involved, and John had been involved. John lives there, and they hear the gospel, and they're young believers, and many of them are coming from paganism, and, and they're coming to the faith. And all of a sudden, other guys come talking about Christ. Oh, yeah, I I'm a follower of Christ. I love Christ. I learned from Peter. I learned from Paul. I learned from John. And these other guys come and they start teaching things that are false. And they don't know it's false. They don't know how to sift through it. And John says, you've got false teaching in a minute. You don't know how to separate it out. And he says, not everyone comes from God. And verse 2, though, here is the test. Here's how you know if the Spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In the Greek, it literally says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus, the Christ who has come in the flesh, that Jesus is the Christ in the flesh is legit. It's a very simple test. I always ask the question. When people say, you know, what about this group? What about that group? I say, what do they do with Jesus? What do they teach about Jesus? John begins the gospel in his first work that he wrote a few years before this, or maybe just a year before this. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. The Logos, Jesus, is God in the flesh. That is the test of that. What are you about Jesus? Uh, the other day, I was uh, going, uh, and sometimes I read stuff I've been read before. Uh, I have uh, work at developing sermons coming down the line. I have a sermon series coming up in March, and then I, I develop another one. I changed one over from uh, October. And then in October, I decided to deal with uh, Jesus, and I call it the authentic Jesus. Now, I need to be honest with you. I am lousy at sermon titles and series titles. I'm the worst. I mean, I, I'm so, and so I steal them from other places. I, just, I steal a lot of stuff. I'm pretty much a sermon thief. Now, my sermons are all original. I take full credit or blame for my sermons. I never rip off anybody's sermons. If you ever see me do this at the start of a sermon and then again at the end, then I stole it in quotation marks. But, so I stole the series Authentic Jesus from Stott. In, in 1985, John R.W. Stott, John R.W. Stott, Gone Be the Lord, is the single most influential guy for my generation of preachers. He was the pastor at All Souls Church in England. Uh, he's Anglic uh, uh, Church, uh, Anglican, Church of England. Um, he was also a, a professor, a teacher, just a brilliant man, and just unbelievable writer. Uh, the single most important book that I've ever read, uh, he wrote it in 1986, is called The Cross of Christ. I've mentioned it before. It is the, outside the Bible, it's the only book that I would say that I would have, that I would, if I was stranded on a desert island, you can take five books, the Bible, this, and then a bunch of stuff that's not Christian at all, just to entertain myself occasionally. <laughs> And by the way, my next sermon series is called The Cross of Christ. <laughs> I stole it from this also. Though all, none of this stuff, sermons came from in here. You know, but uh, this is the series that uh, Brian asked if maybe it was not too long because of eight weeks. I'm falsely accusing him of that. He didn't really say that. He just said, that's a long series. And I'm like, well, I'm talking about Jesus. So, you know, if you don't like that, you're not going to like heaven. So... <laughs> Like, that's, the conversation didn't go down quite like that. I, I'm embellishing in a, uh, Brian's preaching in a couple of weeks. He'll get, a, he'll get to straighten that up if he wants to. But in 1986, Sean R.W. Stott wrote The Cross of Christ. It's a phenomenal book about Jesus. In 1985, he wrote this because two things had occurred. A guy named uh, John Hicks had written a book entitled The Myth of God Incarnate, uh, which basically as a New Testament professor, he basically said the idea of Jesus being God in the flesh is a myth. It's not true. And then right after that, the Church of England ordained to be a bishop a guy named uh, David Jensen. Uh, and it was controversial because he did, uh, he was accused of not believing in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And he said, I believe, anyone who says that I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is lying. And Stott says, well, that's true. If by the resurrection of Jesus, you mean this symbolic or that it's this mythological, symbolic, spiritual. But if you ask him, does he believe in the body, bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? He does not, and he didn't. And so Stott wrote this little track called The Authentic Jesus. It's just brilliantly written. And I tell you this because here's the thing what Stott does, which greatly shaped and influenced my life. Nothing is more important than our understanding of Jesus. Got to get Jesus right. You've got to get Jesus right. You've got to get it right. And the cross is everything. I'm preaching on the cross in March and April and Easter. The cross is everything. Paul says, <laughs> the word, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who believe, it, it, 
It is the power of God. It, the cross, is the power of God. Because at the cross, there's the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so what John is saying right here, he's saying, what do they say about Jesus? Do they say that Jesus is the Christ of God? And, that, and that's everything. It's the virgin conception and birth. It's the miracles he did. It's the fact that he's God in the flesh. It's the fact that he died on the cross and God raised him back to life. It's all of that. It's only that. It is nothing more than that. That is the single most important doctrine we have is Jesus and the cross and all that goes with it. And all throughout America today and in our area as well, there are so-called churches with so-called preachers who do not believe the truth about Jesus. They don't believe he's the only way to be saved. They do not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus, nor do they believe in the literal virgin conception and birth of Jesus. They deny it. And they deny everything. It's that important. So John says, this is the ultimate test. Whatever else they may believe. Your view on the end times, and they don't agree with you? No, it's okay. It really, yeah, okay. You know, do you, you don't get everything right about creation? Oh, that's all right, you know. They don't believe, you know, in, in the flood of Noah was literal. Eh, okay. I, I, all right. They, you know, they, they, they don't believe in immersion as baptism. Well, they're wrong, but okay. They drink wine with the Lord's Supper. Well, that's why they're popular. Okay. What do they believe about Jesus? That's all I want to know. What do they believe about Jesus? In every spirit, oh, this is in verse 3, that does not confess that Jesus is not from God. If they don't, I mean, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. If they don't confess Jesus the way he just described, they're not from God. They are not from God. They are not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, everybody says, oh, they, you, know, you know, the word Antichrist is never found in the book of Revelation. The word Antichrist is found in one book and only one book, First John. That's it. Nowhere else. I'm not saying it's not alluded to, it's just not found. Everybody goes in Revelation, well, that's the Antichrist, that's the Antichrist. Well, John doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say that in the book of Revelation. Here, here's where the Antichrist is used. He's used it earlier. He says the Antichrist, literally, that which is against Christ, is the one who denies Jesus is God in the flesh. You deny the truth of Jesus, you are an Antichrist. And you have heard that it's coming, they're coming, and they're in the world. The world is full of Antichrist. We're worried. Here's the problem in the churches today. We're worried about the Antichrist, and we should be worried about every Antichrist. We're worried about somebody who may or may not come in your lifetime, who may or may not be exactly what you think he is. And, and all the whole 666 thing. My goodness, if I hear the word 666, the mark of the beast ever again from a Baptist, it'd be fine with me. We're so worried about that that we don't worry about the people who every day live anti-Christ and teach it in our midst. That's the far greater danger in your life. You may not live to see the Antichrist, but every day 
You live in a world full, John says, full of Antichrist. It's amazing. Why did we not pick up on that? I didn't make this up. And, and, and notice what John says in verse 4. You are from God, little children. What a word of comfort. You're from God. You are from God. And you have overcome them. Who is them? All of the false teachers. Because greater is he who is in you than he was in the world. We get that wrong all the time. I think there's even a song about that, probably several. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Greater is God who lives within you than the little false antichrists of the world. Yeah, that's good. That's almost like an amen. There, there is more power living within us, not us, than in all of those false teachings that are out there. All of that. And Paul is saying, you have that. Little children, my beloved. That is you. Notice what he says in verse 5. They are from the world. And they speak, therefore, as from the world. And the world listens to them. The word world here, and I've said this all the time when I deal with the word cosmos, world. Can mean earth. Can mean people or people in opposition to God. And so here he's talking about the people in opposition to God. This is, I like to say, this is the culture that opposes Christ. We have in us a huge culture that opposes Christ. Okay? And, and, and you can't figure that out. I don't tell you. It's really easy to figure out how they oppose Christ. He says, they come from that culture. They don't come from, they don't come from the Christian culture. They may look like it. They may go to a seminary, have gone to a seminary. They may have, you know, got Bible degrees. I mean, John Hicks was like a professor of New Testament in a religious institution. And, and, and I went to Trinity University in San Antonio. It's a, it a Presbyterian. I don't want the word Trinity fully. It's a Presbyterian uh, college and, uh, at the time, university. And I don't know if the Presbyterians wanted much to do with them. But I had several professors. I took religion there. Uh, you know, why not? I was, a, I was a young minister starting my sophomore year. And uh, I, had, I had people who taught me uh, religion who were... They're not Christians. Weren't when I had them. Don't know if that changed, but they weren't. They didn't have faith. You can do that. It's not hard. People do it all the time. He says they speak from the world's culture. So when pastors and other people try to get you to adapt to the culture of the world instead of engaging that culture with the true gospel, the unchanging gospel, they are of the Antichrist. I'm not saying they're not technically saved. I won't go that far. But um, they're, they're, they're teaching you something fundamentally wrong. I tell you all the time, you engage the culture, you never embrace it. You engage it with the gospel. And how sad it is right now to see so many people try to embrace the culture and make the church change to be like the culture with the lie from hell that the only way we can reach them is to be like them. 
No, 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 no. The only way to reach people is to share the authentic Jesus. What Stott wrote. The authentic Jesus. We're not going to change the culture. We, you know, we, we keep trying to change the culture as Christians. We're not going to change the culture. But Jesus will change the heart and soul of people. And he'll change the culture. One person at a time. What is our task? To introduce them to Jesus. As fast as we can. Because he changes lives. And, and, and John is telling them. He's saying, listen, I've been around. I'm the last of the apostles. Those antichrists are from the world. And in verse 6, I love this. Because only, only John and Paul and Peter, only those guys can say this. I can't say this. Well, I could, but it wouldn't be true. He says, we are from God. And he who knows God listens to us. Now, who's the us? Well, I would say it's the, mess- the apostles and the apostolic message. He who is not from God has not listened to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We know by the message. The apostolic message, the New Testament is full of the apostolic message. I'm going to read to you from uh, Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching to the people. Here is the message of the apostles in its simplest early form. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you, nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. There is the apostolic message that John and they all preached. We killed him with our sins and God raised him from the dead because the power of sin could not hold Jesus. And John wrote, and I, the very beginning of this letter, what we have touched, seen, heard, we proclaim. John says, I'm going to witness. So, <laughs> all these people coming and teaching you this stuff, they never encountered Jesus. Never did. They never saw the resurrected Lord. The Lord never taught them. The Lord never commissioned them. They're all false. They had, they had nothing to do with Jesus. Listen to me. John says, listen, listen, listen. Me, Peter, Paul, eventually, we saw the resurrected Jesus. And what we're proclaiming to you is what you need to listen to. So, what we proclaim every week, one way or another, (laughs) is Jesus. Now, I mean, we're in the Psalms right now, and so that technically, I guess, we're not proclaiming Jesus, but we're, you know, in a way, you know, we relate to it and connect it and do all that stuff. But ultimately, the message that we preach throughout the course of the year and teach is salvation is found in no one else. 
For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. We proclaim Jesus. And we teach that all the time. So should you. That, so when you're dealing with your friends, quit worrying about the end times. Okay? Just, just stop. The, the, the cold snap is not a sign of the end. Elections don't signify that Jesus, Jesus is not sitting there saying, I wonder, I wonder how the election is going to go because that may be the key for me returning to earth. <laughs> quit, quit worrying about what Joel Osteen wrote. You know. Quit worrying about whether their faith is enough to make them healthy or wealthy. Quit, quit reading you know, whatever this guy wrote, that guy wrote. Just quit, stop. Other than uh, Cauliflower's a Fraud, don't worry about those other books. <laughs> and focus on the New Testament and the Gospels and Jesus. So here, here's, here's, what, here's what I believe, because here's what I was taught. One day, all people are going to face God. Here's God. Here's me. And God is holy, and I'm sinful, and I'm separated from God, right? So we're going to face this God we're separated from, and, and, we're, gonna, and we're in trouble. But, but Jesus came into this world to bring me to God. He's the only one. And I'm going to stand before God, and God wants to know this. Did you ever in your life commit your life to Jesus? Did you trust Jesus to be your Savior? It's a yes or no question. It's not multiple choice. It's not fill in the blank. It's yes, no. And if the answer is yes, you'll spend eternity with God in Christ in paradise. And the answer is no, you'll spend eternity in the presence of the judgment of God in hell. Nothing else matters. Nothing else will affect that moment. If that is true, then the single most important thing we can ever do is help people come to know Jesus. And the Jesus we must help them come to know is the Jesus that is God in the flesh. It's just that simple. You have any a couple of minutes? You have any questions you'd like to ask? I'd be happy to answer them as best I can. Any money you'd like to give? Put it in the brown boxes on your way out. Never feel like that's not a good thing to do.